0: So, what are you waiting for? Get Bluehost Cloud today by visiting bluehost.com. That's bluehost.com. Over the past decade, cannabis laws in the U.S. have changed drastically. Starting in 2012, states began to legalize marijuana for the first time. Now, 11 years later, 24 states have approved the drug for recreational use. In places where pot is legal, people who were previously targeted by the war on cannabis now have the chance to join the booming industry. However, this shift in laws has disproportionately benefited large cannabis corporations, also known as the corporate dispensary.
1: The rise of the corporate dispensary is fundamentally grounded and rooted in Legislation. And so essentially, what has happened is because people with deeper pockets, we'll call them corporate dispensary owners, they have more money. So they have more access to politicians and influence and lobbyists. And essentially, when you have lawmakers that create $20,000 application fees, when you have lawmakers that create systematic policies that are really only set up to favor people with deep pockets, then you have the rise of corporate industry taking over. And it's like that in every other industry. I just think that people that have been in the cannabis industry prior to regulation, they weren't expecting it to look that way because the same people that are corporatizing it, nine times out of 10 don't smoke pot, look down on pot, always felt pot was taboo.
0: That's Sarah Woodson executive director and founder of The Color of Cannabis. She says that cannabis dispensary chains like MedMen and Cureleaf have pushed smaller operators out of the industry. With private capital, these chains can afford the enormous taxes and fees that go along with running a cannabis business. On top of this, these corporations can mass-produce products, keeping prices low and outcompeting smaller local farms. Though states like California have tried limiting the size of these operations, corporate dispensaries seem to always find a loophole. Aaron Smith, co-founder and CEO of the National Cannabis
2: Industry Association, says it's a federal and state issue. A lot of the problem lies with overtaxation at the state level, as well as unfair taxes at the federal level. So the prescription for this is federal policy reform and state policy reform. But at the federal level, for example, you have businesses that are unable to deduct regular expenses from their taxes because of a little-known provision called 280E in the tax code that says that if you're trafficking in illegal narcotics, then you cannot deduct things like rent, marketing expenses, payroll expenses, anything associated with the quote-unquote trafficking. And that means that you know your business is paying taxes on their gross receipt. Very few can succeed doing that. Even the larger businesses have a real hard time with this. And then also we need to start looking at some of the state taxes, which are becoming, you know, in some cases are very burdensome and they're making it very difficult for small operators to have a price point that is appealing to the average consumer. In addition to heavy taxes, many states require dispensaries to hire
0: security, install cameras, and implement track and trace systems. Though these policies make the industry safer, it's a significant cost for a small business to bear. And with marijuana illegal at the federal level, cannabis companies aren't eligible for loans
2: or other forms of financial support. You have a lack of access to banking and financial services that other businesses can take for granted. So while a lot of businesses are accessing checking accounts... And that sort of thing these days, it's still difficult for some. And it's also very difficult to access lending and traditional financing that really affects small businesses more than the bigger brands because big companies have access to private capital as the small ones do not. So that's one other area of federal policy that can be remedied pretty quickly would be to pass a bill called the Safer Banking Act in Congress, which would open up banking services to the industry and would disproportionately help small businesses.
0: If passed, the Safer Banking Act would provide legal protections to banks working with cannabis businesses, making services like checking accounts, loans, and insurance more widely accessible. Some states have also created social equity programs to try and give smaller operators, namely minority and women-owned companies, a leg up in the industry. These programs aim to give communities most impacted by criminalization a space in the legal cannabis market. While these initiatives have seen some success, they've also been met with fierce opposition.
1: In New York, what's happened now around social equity programs, which typically encompass women, minorities, small businesses, because for the most part, social equity across the nation in cannabis is gender neutral and race neutral. And so what you see is every time states like New York say, okay, we're going to make sure that we set aside licenses for these group of people that were here prior to the corporatization of cannabis, then again, a deep pocket will come in. They will sue right now in New York. They're now suing by saying that New York not allowing out-of-state operators in is Discrimination. And so, what we have traditionally always known to be discrimination, which is typically race based, sex based, age based, now, you know, the law is being applied as a sword versus a shield, and it's backfiring on small operators.
0: New York's initial plan was to grant half of all cannabis licenses to social equity applicants. For these candidates, licensing fees are significantly reduced, often slashed in half. Unfortunately, the New York program has been repeatedly challenged in court, and similar policies in California and Washington have spurred lawsuits as well. For activists like Woodson and Smith, who hoped legalization would break down barriers for minority and small business owners, it's frustrating to see these initiatives failing. For this reason, they both believe that for the industry to truly become more inclusive and equitable, cannabis must be legalized at the federal level
1: at least when you have federal legalization, you no longer have issues with banking. There's just a lot in my opinion that federal legalization will do for the business community. But then I think what has been the most immoral about the whole way that we've regulated is there's still people in jail for selling cannabis non-violent cannabis convictions people are still in jail for this and so that's the thing that we never talk about and i think that federal legalization will make amends to that and folks will have to be released
0: in some states where marijuana is legal nonviolent offenders were issued pardons or had their records expunged with federal legalizations these pardons would happen across the country Though it's unclear when exactly cannabis will be legalized at the federal level, Woodson and Smith are confident it'll happen eventually. When that day comes, Smith says it's important that our lawmakers keep social justice policies front and center. With the right regulations, there can be room for everyone in this flourishing sector. For more behind the scenes, check out Viewpoints Radio on X, Facebook, and Instagram. The story was written and produced by Grace Galanti. Our executive producer is Amira Zaveri. Our studio manager is Jason Dickey. I'm Gary Price. This segment is brought to you by Jackson Hewitt. Can't wait weeks for your tax refund? Then don't. At Jackson Hewitt, get money today if you're approved for a no-fee refund advance loan on a prepaid card. Book today at JacksonHewitt.com. No fee refund advance offered to eligible clients. Application required. Loans by Republic Bank. Details at jacksonhewitt.com. Coming up on Viewpoints.
1: We have fewer people who are certified in those positions that have historically been challenging to staff.
0: There's a reason more students are failing proficiency tests in key subjects. Then.
2: We have a president that has followed an authoritarian playbook with someone that comes to power through elections, but once in power, he's turned his back on these basic democratic guarantees. Mexico
0: will also be electing a new president this year. I'm Marty Peterson. And I'm Gary Price. These stories in-depth on your public affairs magazine, Viewpoints.